From The Daily Oz, my name is Billy Fitzsimons and this is No Silly Questions. This is the podcast where we break down the big issues for young people in the lead up to the federal election so that you can bring informed insights to your group chat. Today, I am joined by Tom Crowley once again, TDA's political journalist, content machine. Hey, Tom. Hello, Billy. Two times in a week. Uh, I just can't keep away. We've got so many questions, none of them silly, all to be answered before the election. So many questions. So today it's all about minor parties, independence and the balance of power, which we briefly covered on Tuesday's episode. But I think that there's more to this topic that we should explore. So what are we trying to achieve today? Yeah. So just as a reminder for anybody who didn't hear Tuesday's episode, we talked there about kind of hung parliaments and we touched a little bit on the role of independence and minor parties when they have the balance of power in the House of Representatives and the ability to help shape who forms the government. But the role of minor parties and independents is bigger than that. Um, And I think it's important to, to talk a little bit more about who they are, what they believe in and what their role in the political system is. Okay, so for your 60-second overview, can you explain more about what the role of minor parties and independents actually is? And then we can go back to who they are a bit later on. All right, so let me start by explaining why minor parties exist. And I think it all comes back to this idea of compulsory voting in a system where everybody has to vote. We've talked about this before. It's kind of natural that you get major parties who are trying to appeal to the middle because you win government by appealing to the broadest number of people possible. But when they're doing that, there are always going to be particular causes and particular groups of people that they neglect um, and that they don't include in their platforms. So it's really natural in that system that there'll be smaller parties and independents that will kind of evolve to advocate for those causes and for those groups of people. Now, how do those groups have any power if they're not forming government? The answer is, and it comes back to this concept of the balance of power, which again is something that we've talked about a little bit before. We talked about it on Tuesday in the context of hung parliaments and in the House of Representatives, these independents and minor parties can help to bring down the government. In the Senate, you can't do that, but the role there, again, is really, really important. If you sit on what we call the crossbench in either the House of Representatives or the Senate and the government doesn't have full control of the House of Representatives or the Senate, then you get to be the deciding vote on controversial policies. That's a very powerful position and we've seen it used to great effect before. Governments have had some of their biggest policies brought down by a handful of independents or minor parties in either one of the houses. So they're certainly not powerless and the system and the way that the numbers fall can make a a small party or an independent advocating for a particular issue suddenly find themselves in this really powerful position to to get something done on that cause that they care about. So they're powerful. They're a very important part of our democratic system. Okay, so let's get into specifics. Let's start with the biggest of the minor parties, the Greens. Yeah, so the Greens certainly are the biggest one, and especially among young people. I think it's about a third of young people who voted for the Greens at the last election. So if young people were the electorate, they'd be a major party. Uh, but nationally, they get kind of, you know, roughly about 10% um, of, of Australian people voting for the Greens. So they are a fairly significantly sized party. Um, their political alignment is to the left, um, both socially and economically. They advocate for progressive policies. Their origins, particularly, 
particularly we're, we're in the environmental movement um, and, and I guess advocacy on climate change, but it's a much broader range of issues that the Greens talk about now um, as part of it, you know, generally being a progressive party. Um, and they're quite large in terms of the number of politicians that they have as well. Um, so in the House of Representatives, there's just the one, uh, Adam Bant, the leader of the Greens, who's the member for the seat of Melbourne. Um, But in the Senate, there are nine senators at the moment and the Greens are are hoping in this election that they might have even more than that. Now, how powerful are the Greens? Um, Again, it depends on how much that they're in this position of the balance of power. So nine senators is a significant number of senators, but I think it's fair to say that those nine senators tend to have less influence when there's a coalition government. Again, I I guess the the power from being a minor party comes from being the deciding votes. Um, Whereas in the Senate, you know, either the Labor and the Liberal parties agree, in which case you don't need the Greens, or if Labor and the Liberals are arguing over something, generally speaking, the Greens are going to be siding with Labor anyway, more likely than not, again, because of the Greens positioning as a a progressive party on the left. Um, But when Labor governments come along, and the last time we had a Labor government, those Greens votes, um, both in the House of Representatives and the Senate, it become a, a lot more important and, and the Greens, um, you know, if, if the Labor Party needs the votes of the Greens to get its legislation through the Senate, then they can be in a really powerful position um, to, to shape what a Labor government does in particular. Um, and that is kind of the Greens' big aim this election. They're talking a lot on their website and in their campaign materials about this idea of the balance of power, holding the government to account, particularly on issues um, like climate change. Um, and, and so that's kind of the, the, the role that they'll play this time. Okay, so that's the Greens. What about some of the other minor parties who are in the Senate? Who are they? So I'll start with One Nation. They're probably the most prominent. They currently have two senators um, and they've been around in various iterations for a while. Their leader is Pauline Hanson. Uh, anyone who's familiar with One Nation will know that they tend to be um, to the far right, particularly on immigration issues. And again, I think that sort of speaks to the purpose of minor parties, um, which is to pick up on these things that the mainstream political parties miss. And so One Nation, um, you know, advocate for some of those issues, um, I guess, on the far right. Um, Some of the others who are in the Senate at the moment, they tend to be sort of harder to put in boxes and they tend to be maybe a little bit more in the middle. So, for example, Jackie Lambie from Tasmania is probably the most prominent of those. And she's found herself in quite a, a powerful position because it's hard to know, you know, which way she'll come down on any particular issue. And so when she finds herself as the deciding vote in the Senate, you know, she can use that position as leverage and she can try and achieve some of the things that she cares about in exchange for for voting um, for for policies that the government wants support on. And that's kind of the role of of these Senate crossbenchers and the way that all of them use their position in the balance of power. What do you mean when you say leverage? So I'll I'll give a really quick example. Um, Using Jackie Lambie on an issue that's very important to her, which is the issue of asylum seekers. Um, And so there was a a debate that went on a couple of years ago about whether asylum seekers in offshore detention should be allowed to be evacuated to the mainland for emergency medical treatment. It was debated a lot in the Senate. Now, Jackie Lambie supported the principle of that, but she agreed to vote for it in exchange for getting those asylum seekers released from offshore detention and getting them resettled for New Zealand. So it was this kind of like she used it as a bit of a bargaining chip and she said, all right, government, if you want to have my vote to to vote against this medical evacuation, well, I want to get something out of that. Will you agree to resettle these refugees eventually, take them out of offshore detention altogether? Uh, And the government agreed to that deal. So that's just, I guess, an example of how the crossbenchers can use that position um, and I guess put a price on their vote um, and try and achieve some outcomes that they care about. 
Okay, so that's the Senate, but I want to come back to the House of Representatives. I feel like if you turn on the news at the moment, you see the independents everywhere. There's a lot of seats that we've talked about before where they are serious contenders in traditionally liberal seats. Can you explain to us who they are, what their policies are? Of course, they're independents, so they're different. You can't group them all together. But can you explain more about the independents in the House of Reps? I can. So, yeah, the independents, we are hearing a lot about independents this time. Independents aren't a new thing. They've always been around. And in general, to get into the House of Reps, House of Reps is all about local areas. Independents have been people with a really strong local presence. Um, so maybe one of the most prominent independents for a long time has been Bob Catter. You may know him as the person who is really worried about people being torn to pieces by a crocodile in North Queensland. And in general, you know, he represents an area from North Queensland. He's always talking about issues that people in his area care about. This time it's, I guess, kind of a little bit different. There are a lot of independents who are talking about big national issues that they believe that their local communities care about, and in particular climate change. There's a whole bunch of independent MPs who are challenging what are traditionally Liberal seats, um, running basically in the idea that the, the Liberal politicians that these areas have normally voted for, they say they've not done enough on climate change, they've not done enough on government integrity and a couple of other issues, and they're wanting to shake up politics by coming in instead as independents and trying to lobby the major parties from the outside on an issue of climate change. So these aren't areas that necessarily uh, are left-wing enough to vote for the Greens normally, uh, but these are people who are kind of quite often people who would normally be Liberal voters, uh, but who this time are saying maybe you should try and elect an independent instead and challenge the major parties on issues that you care about. So that's where we're getting this kind of rise of independence. We're getting a lot of um, media coverage of them at the moment. It's going to be very interesting to see how much success they have. All right. Well, I think that's all we have time for. Thanks, Tom. Thank you, Billy. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of No Silly Questions. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star rating on Spotify or Apple and we will see you next week. 